This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Longwoods International, one of the premier research firms in the travel and tourism space in the world. Longwoods produces groundbreaking research, thought-leading insights, and excellent counsel and service to DMOs in areas such as visitor research, advertising effectiveness, image research, and their brand new resident sentiment study. Learn more about this new breakthrough product and more at longwoods-intl.com. And now it's on to our show. Today, we welcome Jennifer Wesselhoff to DMOU. She is the president CEO of the Sedona Chamber of Commerce and Tourism Bureau. Almost 20 years of organizational management experience, Jennifer oversees all aspects of the Sedona Chamber of Commerce and Tourism Bureau, the Visitor Center, the Film Office, and the Run Sedona event. She is an active member of several national and statewide professional organizations. She's past chair of the Verde Valley Regional Economic Organization, past president of Destination Marketing Association West, and a board member of the Arizona Chamber Executive. She sits on the Arizona Tourism Advisory Council and was recently appointed by the Secretary of Agriculture as a member of the Resource Advisory Committee. She holds a CDME from Destinations International, and she recently served as guest lecturer for the Sustainability Destination Management Certificate course at George Washington University. Jennifer, welcome to DMOU. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. You know, we've been to Sedona several times. It's a magical destination, and it pained us a couple of years ago as we saw kind of the machinations of, and I hate the term, and we all hate the term, but it is in our vernacular now, over-tourism kind of raise its head. So, you know, you you live in one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Visitor counts have been increasing fairly substantially over the years, thanks in great part to your work. Uh, but suddenly, there was a subset in your community that pushed back and pushed back really, and I think unexpectedly hard. Mm-hmm. I know it's painful to relive those days uh, of the past couple of years, but share with us the evolution of this rebellion that happened from the residents in Sedona. Yeah, well, thanks for the opportunity to share some of the lessons learned um, throughout the last couple of years here in Sedona, because truly I've learned so much both professionally and personally on how to overcome adversity, especially when not only your organization that you lead and an industry as a whole is the target of such... um, such rebellion, really. But as it turned personal, um, it got very, very difficult to to manage. So our situation in Sedona, like many cities, it really started in the, the political arena with what we call home rule. And home rule is basically the local authority for our city government to create a budget based on the revenues coming in and the expenses that the citizens and the government wishes to expend. 
And if a city in Arizona doesn't operate under home rule, they have a basic um, allocation per resident of the maximum amount of money that they're able to spend, regardless of the amount of revenue coming in. So for a community like Sedona, that you know tourism is our number one industry, it generates 77% of our city tax dollars. Wow. It's our number one industry, 10,000 jobs. It doesn't necessarily make sense to base our city's budget on our local population because our local population is only 10,000 people. So operating under home rule would mean that our city could spend about a $40 million budget. A no on home rule meant that our city would have to spend an allocation per person, per population, that would cut our budget down to about a $20 million budget. So it would vir virtually cut the city's budget in half. And in the last home rule election, it happens every four years, tourism and our organization became the target. The, the reasoning for an anti-home rule vote was that if you vote no on home rule, you're saying no to tourism. No more tourism, no more funding of the DMO, no more traffic. So it really came down to our residents feeling outnumbered and feeling like all the community leaders, including our organization, cared about were visitors. And that, of course, not isn't the case, but that was certainly the perception in the community at the time. Uh, so we had a lot of work to overcome that. Didn't it really come down to congestion? Because, I mean, it's always difficult for us here at the ranch as we, you know, watch our news feeds about destination marketing organizations. And we are in many cases, beholden to a media that may have a bias or may have an unsophisticated view of the world. But it certainly seemed, as we looked in, that this was about the community was, it just wasn't fun to live there anymore because there was so much congestion. Is that what this was about? Yeah, it was about traffic. It was about congestion. It was about overcrowding in certain areas. And quite frankly, our infrastructure in terms of roads and walkability and sidewalks and multimodal options and public transit, our infrastructure hasn't kept up with mm -hmm. the demand of tourism and the growth of tourism. For us, that overcrowding and we don't feel like we're in an over tourism scenario yet. We feel that there are certainly days when we have overcrowding in certain areas and there are certainly days that we have traffic backups. But that has been the case since 1999. You know, traffic isn't a new thing for many communities across the country. But what changed for us was about late 2015, 2016, we started to feel the pinch when it came to traffic. That was the year that the National Park Service celebrated their 100th year anniversary. Mm -hmm. And yep. for folks who don't know, Sedona is located in the heart of Arizona, right between the halfway point between Phoenix and the Grand Canyon. 
Grand Canyon is the second most visited national park um, in the country. And in the last two to three years, visitation to Grand Canyon National Park has increased from about 4 million visitors to over 6 million visitors. And, you know, a lot of those folks are are coming through Sedona on their way to the Grand Canyon. Now, that isn't necessarily the visitor that we're trying to attract. You know, we're trying to attract an overnight visitors who shares our values, who, who spends money while they're here doing the things that the amenities that we are able to offer. But we're we're focusing on that overnight visitor, not the visitor who's driving our roads to get somewhere else. And unfortunately, we just became the target of all of the the pent up frustration of our residents as it related to traffic. And it was um, quite significant. The anti-home rule group who was running, uh, both running for council and then also running the Vote No on Home Rule campaign, they were incredibly well organized and really well funded. But really it came down to our residents starting to ask the question, how much is too much tourism and are loving Sedona to death? And a lot of that came with the, the success of tourism, but a lot of that also came with the growth of our budget. You know, as our budget increased, as bed taxes increased, as sales taxes increased, so did the questioning of are we losing our sense of place and are we focusing too much on visitors and not enough on our quality of life? Could you ever identify a trigger? I think it was the growth of our budget. We did a long-range strategic planning process for tourism in Sedona in 2014-15. And as a result of that, our lodging industry increased their bed tax under the agreement that we would get form of funding. So that was 55% of that total bed tax that was collected. And our budget went from that year, our benchmark year of 2014, of about $500,000 to what is today, which is just over about $2 million. And I think it was the growth of that budget and the idea that it was formula funded rather than a a base model based on services rather than based on a a total collection. So I I think it was just a combination of residents feeling like they're outnumbered Mm -hmm. and the fact that maybe our messaging was a little off as well. And I feel like a lot of the DMOs could understand our our perspective and probably suffer these same challenges that we do. You know, every time we would go in front of city council and our elected officials, which of course is covered by the media, we had to talk about the return on investment. And for every dollar invested in tourism, $7 is invested in the community. Or for every dollar spent on lodging, $4 is spent in the community. And 10,000 jobs. And, you know, you don't have a property tax because of tourism. I mean, it felt like we were just continually talking about the numbers and the positive impacts. And because of that, we accidentally positioned ourselves in the community. That was all we cared about. And that residential rebellion that we were facing 
was a result of that. I mean, people just felt like we didn't care about the locals, mm-hmm. yep. that all we cared about was the numbers, the jobs, the sale taxes, the businesses, the lodgers. And it was because we were, I don't want to say forced, but we were forced to talk about that mm-hmm. return on investment. And we didn't have a lot of other time to talk about all the other great things that we're doing um, in the community. And I think a lot of DMOs probably deal with this same challenge. We're just always telling that story about the return on investment yeah. of public tax money. Yeah, I, I think we all deal with it, but I don't think that any of us have dealt with it in the way that you have over the past couple of years. You know, it was interesting. Um, the recently completed Destinations International Advocacy Summit, so much of the content was about the concept that, you know, when I got into this business in the 80s, you know, we knew that for a DMO, your primary customer was the hotels. That That's why we were here, right? <laughs> and then we became more sophisticated in the 90s. And we said, well, the primary customer is really the customer. It's the traveler. It's the client. It's the event planner. And if they're happy, then the hotels will be happy. And yet we all know today, through the work of of the foundation and, and the work that Jack Johnson's been doing, is if you ask why enough times, you get down to who the real customer is, and the real customer is our residents. And I think we all are realizing that we've erred in how we communicate to people who don't live in our world and speak our lexicon, mm-hmm. you know, room nights, taxes, jobs. It doesn't make any difference to anybody. And it's fascinating that, you know, Longwoods with their resident sentiment study has identified that the vast majority of Americans believe that tourism is good for the economy, good for the community, but they don't make the connection that it's good for them personally. And that's, it sounds like that's exactly what happened with you. So here's my second question. The rebellion now is in full bloom. So how did the chamber respond and how did you personally respond? Because the attacks became uncharacteristically really personal against you. That was the surprising thing about it. Um, You know, I wasn't expecting that. I'm not an elected official, but, you know, I think it goes to show the importance of the work that we're doing and the visibility that we have as leaders in our communities and in organizations, how visible those positions are. That really surprised me. I mean, you may have seen, I know I've shared um, some of the images that came out at other presentations with a a bus with my name on it, you know, the Wesselhoff bus running over residents or memes of um, a woman with a chamber of commerce written on her chest, kind of throwing up money, like we're full of money. So just really, really personal attacks. But you know what? We really responded in a positive way and changed the way that we were talking to our community. I think the challenge before this process, and I agree with you, you know, if a hotelier were to ask me, or if you were to ask me five years ago, who's our number one customer, I would say, our visitors are our number one customers because ultimately if we're serving them, then we're delivering business to you, you know, Mr. Businessman. But you're right. Now today, if you ask me that question, if we don't have happy 
residence, there's no way a visitor is going to feel welcomed and happy in our community. So that has been a complete learning lesson for us over this process. And it allowed us then to totally change our messaging to talk about what the community cares about. And prior to that, and, and probably a lot of DMOs do this too. I can't imagine that we were unique. We talked a lot about what we're doing, you know, our summer campaign in Phoenix or our winter campaign in Chicago. And, you know, we would talk about our sales missions and the media missions that we were participating in. And we inadvertently positioned ourselves as really... Yeah being the experts in tourism, but not really caring about much of anything else. So the, the rebellion yeah. is in, in full bloom. We're on our heels, quite frankly. We weren't prepared for how well organized the, the group was. They were so well organized that they, over the course of many months leading up to this, they managed to get administrative access to our open bulletin boards on Facebook. So I know a lot of communities have bulletin boards that are open to the public and open to the community, and they blocked us. So they would post these memes and this Wesselhoff bus running over the residents, and I was blocked. My staff was blocked. We weren't able to respond in a positive way and actually give more accurate information about what we're doing. So it really gave us the opportunity to hone the way that we communicate to our locals in a very different way. And honestly, in the end, it has made us so much better because now we understand better what our residents are interested in talking about, what they're interested in learning about. We now have a monthly coffee chat that's open to the public that anyone could come and talk to me about anything that they've heard or something that we're doing well, something that we can do better. And a lot of good ideas come from that. So we're really proud of the way that we responded. It made us a better, stronger organization. And one more point to the sort of the residents versus businesses or residents versus tourism. We always work so hard to not divide the community, which is one of the reasons why I never we never did a residential survey on tourism sentiments, which we actually just completed a couple, um, about 18 months ago, because I felt like, well, we're, we're surveying our businesses. We're surveying our stakeholders. We're residents too. You know, I always felt like we were getting that feedback of a residential perspective through all of our businesses. I mean, we have almost 900 members and many of them live in our community, we felt like, okay, we're checking that box, right? We're hearing from yeah. residents because their businesses, to, you know, our businesses are <laughs> residents too. Yeah. But in reality, that's not necessarily true. I mean, we really needed to hear from 
people yeah. who aren't so close to us through the business community. And over the last several years, we've been able to do that through our sustainable tourism planning process, which we were in the middle of our sustainable tourism plan process when this little residential rebellion hiccup happen in our community, which is, you know, surprising because we were already on the road towards sustainable tourism management. We started that back in 2015 with our Global Sustainable Tourism Council assessment, which we scored really well at that time in 2015 of the 41 sets of criteria, we scored excellent in 33 of them. So once again, another reason why you weren't ready for the rebellion. Right, exactly. Is you were going through the process and and the process was saying, you're good. Yeah, yeah. And how lucky are we that we were so far down the road while this happened because we did have a lot of things to talk about, a lot of really positive things to talk about. It would have been a lot harder if we didn't really make any progress related to a, a more balanced approach prior to that. Yeah, but I think the most disheartening moment for me as I, again, was lurking and watching in online was, you know, when you, you know, made the point uh, either at a council meeting or, or in some way, shape or form, you were in the public eye and you said, I live here. This is my town. I, I wouldn't want anything to impact negatively the quality of life. And that that comment just was totally dismissed as, yeah, 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 we don't believe you. Right. And so clearly the organization had to step even further and, and probably speed up the sustainability process. So let's get to our third question. Home rule survives you know, at the ballot box, unbelievably. I mean, you guys did a great job of, of making sure that you have the ability to move forward. One could expect that a chamber of commerce that survives such a attack would take a deep breath and settle back into your mission. You've won the war, you know, move forward. You didn't, you doubled down. I mean, you'd already begun the process, but I think that you really focused then on your community's angst and a process that produced a treaty essentially that's called the end to tourism as we know it, which is a fabulous, and we'll point people to it at the end of the podcast, it is a fabulous document that really realigns what your organization holds as its most precious tenets moving forward. So tell us about the process that got you to the end of tourism as we know it. <laughs> well, this was definitely part of, of the process and the learning lessons learned throughout um, the last couple of years and the development of our sustainable tourism plan. The sustainable tourism plan is really our effort to become a world leader in sustainable tourism management. And it's a true voice of our residents, our businesses, and our visitors about the future of Sedona, the future for generations to come. And it's all about balancing the things that we cherish most. It's about protecting and sustaining what we love in terms of the the environment and the, the streams and the trails and our peace and quiet and embracing travelers who share our values 
educating those travelers who may need a nudge, and really to more proactively respond to our challenges. I think prior to these last couple of years, when residents would complain about traffic or they would complain about helicopter tour noise or OHVs or ATVs in their neighborhoods, I would listen and I would understand and, you know, I hear it too, but I always felt like the benefits of tourism truly outweighed the inconveniences that we experience as locals and Mm -hmm. that we're so lucky to be able to live in a place like Sedona. Of course, not everything's going to be perfect. So I would always say, oh, I understand that there is helicopter tour noise sometimes during the day um, that impacts you, but tourism generates 10,000 jobs and you don't have a property tax because of it. Right. I don't want to say I wasn't genuine in listening to their concerns, but I just felt like the benefits outweighed the negatives. But what this process has allowed me to do to look differently and to to change my thinking about it is to use the power of the influence of the industry and the power of all the good to now try to mitigate the negative because we weren't necessarily always honest about the trade-offs, right? Mm -hmm. And every industry has trade-offs. And what this process has allowed me to better understand is that there are good things and there are bad things about tourism, but let's try to galvanize all of the good to impact some of the trade-offs and some of the things that we think are bad in the community in terms of negative impacts. So the launch of the end of tourism, as we know it, is a pretty bold statement, especially for a community that relies on it so heavily like we do. But it's really all about promoting responsible visitor behavior that respects our environment and respects our residents in a way that is really more meaningful and more thoughtful than we've ever um, focused on before. And giving visitors every opportunity to reduce their impact and to be part of a sustainable tourism future um, for our community. So we have a lot of work to do. Our sustainable tourism plan has four pillars, environment, quality of life, uh, quality of the economy, and visitor experience. And to be honest with you, for the last 60 years, we've been really good at focusing on two of those pillars, right. you know, the economy yeah. and the visitor experience. And we've got a lot of work to do in terms of the environment and the quality of life for our residents. But it's really giving us some tools. In fact, there are over 60 tactics in the plan. Uh, 30 or so of them are short term. Everything from a Sedona Cares pledge, which is a pledge that our visitors take um, either before they get to Sedona or while they're here, pledging to be good stewards of the land and vowing to hold dear the things that we cherish in our community. 
all the way to volunteerism programs, infrastructure and traffic management programs. Lots of great things happening um, with the plan. And it's truly the end of an era where we're focusing just on more tourism, more visitors, and really focusing on a a quality over quantity approach and using our influence with both businesses and visitors to use the power of good for of of the tourism industry to hopefully um, you know keep Sedona beautiful um, for generations to come. So you've really had this as you said there were two pillars for all these years you now have four. So it's really an evenly balanced approach. Tell me how the, the community has responded, because clearly you know, they believed you were, and to a degree you were, 100% about growing your number one industry. Now you are evenly approaching what's important to them and what's important to the business community. How has the residential community, and more importantly, the opposition, How have they responded to that? The opposition has been pretty quiet. We haven't heard too much from them. You know, there are obviously days when we are out of balance, meaning there is traffic Mm -hmm. backups and, you know, uh, residents are, are hearing the helicopter tour noise or they're feeling like there are too many people on the trail. But I think overall, the community has a much better understanding of who we are as an organization and what is important to us. And they have a better understanding that they are important to us, you know, that our residents are important to us. I think right now, because business is still pretty good we're winning. It's positive for our businesses, it's positive for our residents, and ultimately it's positive for our visitors as well. What makes me nervous is when business might not be this good, you know, and we start to see some declines in occupancy or declines in sales taxes and bed taxes and overall visitor spending, because it is going to happen. I mean, the economy is cyclical, recessions happen. We're lucky that business has been so good for us over the last several years that our stakeholders have given us a lot of leniency to do some of the other things that are important too. I think what is going to be a challenge is when business isn't as good Mm -hmm. as it is today and we're start going to start feeling pressure from all sides. And that's where it's really going to be just tricky business of navigating what balance really looks like and feels like, um, because we just can't expect continual growth year after year sure. after year. That's yeah. just, that's not sustainable in and of itself. So uh, I think overall, we're we're getting a lot of support in a lot of different directions for the plan. We're doing some really great work, and it's starting to be seen in the community, and it's definitely being seen outside of the community. I, I think it's really interesting that sometimes you can't see the forest through the trees, right? So the local people don't necessarily know that we are becoming a world leader 
in this. You know, they just see what more they want us to do and what more we could do. But it's really exciting for our destination as well as we are to become a model for other destinations to follow. Yeah. Well, it has been a fantastic uh, process, uh, painful, albeit. But, you know, I loved the title of the of the document that was produced, The End of Tourism as We Know It, because, I mean, while it's, you know, it's evocative, it's challenging, it's absolutely accurate, because tourism as you knew it, that's not what you're going to do. You're going to do tourism as it will be. And I just love the title because it puts a stake in the ground and says, we heard you. You're right. And it, it's it's tough to see it from, from the other side. And so congratulations for doing that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, yeah. you know, compromise has kind of gone out the window these days. I know. You know, no one really wants to compromise. And I, I was at a meeting just recently and someone said that success is equal distribution of discontentment. <laughs> Which is sort of like the definition of compromise, you know, and, and, um, of course it's not going to be perfect. There are days when we're not going to be in balance. And, um, the, the reality is that we're, we're working toward it and we're working through it. And I think that the important message for, for DMOs from my experience to remember is just the power of their voice and the influence that they could have with visitors to become not just a positive economic generator, but to create better connections with our residents, better connections with the land or the, the culture or the destination will ultimately lead to the most successful tourism industry that you can have in, in your community. And we haven't necessarily been good at doing that. You know, we've been traditionally, you know, sales and marketing organizations. And I think that that day is on and shifting to a more sustainable approach that balances all of these things is definitely the, um, the dawn of the new day. Yeah. All right. Time for the bonus round. So many of us get to visit sensational destinations for our work in this amazing industry. However, <laughs> You have a recent trip that I got to hear more about because it's a trip that included meeting a crown prince and riding a camel. <laughs> so, <laughs> so tell me about that. Well, I have been fortunate enough for the last couple of years, you know, representing a destination like Sedona, which is a model in many ways, to have been contacted by the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, who, as you may know, is trying to diversify their economy away from oil yeah. and utilizing tourism as a way to do that. And they've been looking at Sedona as a model community to develop one of their um, nature and heritage sites called Alula. And uh, Surprisingly enough, there are so many similarities between Sedona and this very old, 5,000-year-old heritage sites in Alula with this new emerging destination. So they invited me to come and, and speak at an event about destination marketing organizations and management organizations and what they do and how to set one up and how we might be able to help them and, and how we can learn from each other. 
together. And um, it was such an amazing opportunity to go to a new country like that, that is basically just opening its doors to tourism so um, cool. and have the opportunity to do some really, really unusual things like meet the crown prince, which was quite um, exciting and exhilarating in and of itself, but to ride a camel and go to a camel festival and I had a chance to see the tallest camel and the shortest camel and a blue-eyed camel and the most beautiful camel. It's like a beauty pageant. It, it, it's a camel it was, pageant. It was a camel pageant. Um, you know, apparently camels are a really big deal in that part of the world. Um, yeah, it was really just quite interesting to get to know the people there and it, it was just so eye-opening and just such a reminder about how tourism can transform cultures and people and places. And of course, there's a, a lot more work that needs to be done in, in Saudi Arabia in that direction. But it's so exciting, you know, to see the role of tourism and how it can change lives. Yeah, there's that great line from Mark Twain about uh, travel being fatal to prejudice and bigotry and closed-mindedness. And, and it is so true. And, you know, when we're out there trying to prove the the relevance of what we do in destination marketing, it always comes down to room nights and, you know, jobs and, and numbers. And, you know, the more powerful thing is, is the people who come to visit us may come with all kinds of preconceived notions of you know, we have tails and horns and, and we're, we're an awful people and, and vice versa. We were listening to the Billy Joel channel on Sirius the other day and he was saying, he goes, you know, when, when he went to Russia to play those concerts back in a very tense time between our two countries, he says, I went there thinking they were the enemy. He says, but, you know, I was going to play these concerts. And he said, I met people in Leningrad mm -hmm. that today are some of my closest friends. Right. Yeah. Because I realize they're not the enemy. We are all the same. And when we get to meet each other, I mean, that's really powerful stuff. So I, I agree with you so, so much that your ability to help them, help guide them uh, into destination marketing is just fascinating. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, yeah. you know, as we look at the big picture of tourism that's just changing all around us you know, adapting to that change and, you know, having the opportunity to lead that change really just presents so many exciting new challenges and, and opportunities. And I think it's just such a great time to be part of the industry. It is. Absolutely. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for reliving what had to be the most painful days of your professional career, but congratulations for doing what your community so needed. And I believe it will serve as a model for many of us, if not all of us um, in the coming years. And so thank you for that. Where can listeners find more about the end of tourism as we know it? Our SedonaSustainable.com website has all of the information about our sustainable tourism plan and the end of tourism as we know it is basically the implementation of that plan. So we'll get that up on SedonaSustainable.com and always available to answer any questions or to help out a fellow DMO. Um, they can reach me at any time. Great. Thank you so much for all you've done and all you do. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Longwoods International. You can find them 
at longwoods-intl.com. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, Knowledge Bank, videos, blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.